Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. We're in, the, we're in week two of a series called You're Dead, Now What? Where we're talking about the afterlife. We're asking the question, what happens when you die? Uh, last week we looked at death and we talked about that. And it was a really encouraging message because I let you know you're going to die. And that's really great news. And so uh, we, we talked about that. If you missed it, you can check it out online, verticalchurch.tv. One of the things we're doing in this series that I think is going to be really fun. Uh, I'm excited about it. I hope that you participate because if you don't participate, then we're not going to have anything to talk about. Uh, in, in your program, this is also mentioned, at week five of this series, the first Sunday of May, we're doing a Q&A, a question and answer, which uh, I assume that I will not get to every question you have about eternity, the afterlife, death, dying, heaven, hell, all of that. I don't assume in any way that I'm going to get to every question you have. So what we want to do on the last Sunday of the series is just to... Um, Take some time and say, all right, somebody, like, here, here's some questions we received. We might not get to them all, but uh, we're going to just address the, you know, the top ten or top five, however much time we have for it. So to submit a question, you have two options. Number one, you can send an email uh, to nowwhat at verticalchurch.tv. Just send an email, open up your messenger messages on your phone or your, your text device, you know, and just send that, like put that in the address and it'll go to the email. Uh, now what at verticalchurch.tv. Ask your question. We may talk about it today. We may talk about it next week or the Sunday after that. That's fine. But go ahead and send your question because I'm going to need more than a week. <laughs> Because I don't know that, like, like if you ask me right now, I'll be like, I don't know. That's a good question. Give me a week and I'll have hopefully some kind of answer. So um, if not, we just won't talk about that question. Um, sorry, we didn't get to that. No, but seriously, put that, if, if that doesn't work, if you're not an email computer person, you can, there's a section on the back of the connection card. Just write your question on there. Drop it, uh, actually drop it on your way out at the VIP area. We'll be able to get it still uh, there. We just, we want to, we want to make sure that this uh, material is helpful in your uh, walk with Jesus. And as a matter of fact, that's really the main idea of the whole series. We said this last week. This is kind of the heart of the entire series. Look at this. Um, what you what you believe about tomorrow, and tomorrow means eternal, like the eternal tomorrow, okay? What you believe about tomorrow will impact how you live today. This is what we want you to uh, take with you, that what you believe about tomorrow, heaven, hell, afterlife, death, eternity. By the way, parents, I said last week that uh, the last Sunday of April we're going to talk about zombies. That's partially true. Some of your kids got real excited, like, whoa, they're going to talk about zombies, right? Um, that's partially true. We are going to ask the question, do people come back from the dead? Like, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about it in such a way that really is going to fit in with baptism, which has taken place on that day. So, Pastor Brian said it on the video, but if you want to be baptized, please let us know. If you're not sure, ask, and we would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, anyway, today, uh, we are talking about hell. So, it's going to be a really encouraging, today, uh, encouraging message today. We're talking about hell. I don't know if you know this, but hell's a hot topic in today's culture. Thank you. Yes, I was so nervous like that. That wasn't going to work. <laughs> yes, it's a hot topic. Uh -huh. Anyway, um, but it really is. A lot of people have questions about hell. Like, um, is hell a real place? Like, is, is hell real? Um, if, if, if God is so loving, why would he create a place like hell? If God is good, how can a good God send people to hell forever for something they did 
temporarily? Like, how does that work? Now, before we get even into the message this morning, let me just make a disclaimer. I don't want anyone to go to hell, okay? I don't want any person on the planet, even like the worst, I don't want them to go to hell, okay? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes Christians talk about hell and you get the feeling like they're really excited. (laughs) I'm so excited, you're going to go to hell and burn forever, and I'm going to send you and you and you there like, whoa, I don't want anyone to go to hell, okay? That's that's not that is not what I want. As a matter of fact, I just I want to be perfectly honest with you. I have no need for hell, okay? Like for me, it's really uncomfortable to think about and to talk about. I, I people ask me this question like, "Do you believe in hell?" And it's kind of a weird question because it's like, well, no, because I believe in Jesus. <laughs> My faith is in Jesus. My faith ain't in hell, okay? So I don't believe, I don't put my trust in hell, but I, I do wrestle with the idea that, that hell exists because there's a part of me, and, and I'm just being real with you, I would really be okay if hell did not exist. Like, that would be okay for me. I would be fine because there's a part of me that does not want it to exist. And, and, and I know this might be surprising and shocking and, oh my gosh, but I would love to go in the Bible and erase every reference to hell. Because when you really start contemplating what we're actually talking about, it's, it, is a, it is a heavy topic. I would, I would love to be wrong about hell. Love to be wrong. I'm not going to complain a bit in the world if we get on the other side and God says, oh, yeah, y'all misunderstood all of that. I'm like, well, praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah, right? I would love, because listen, I have no desire to condemn anyone. But when we start talking about questions about heaven and hell and and, and eternity, it's, it's, it's too important to leave to our feelings, to just leave to what we want to be true. What we have to do is we have to dig down into what God told us in Scripture and, 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 and really, if we don't like it, we believe it and wait till God changes our hearts, okay? That's, that's how I approach Scripture. If I read something that I'm like, I don't know about that, well, then I'm wrong, it's right, and I'm going to pray and let God change my heart, okay? So that's the approach I take. So that's about how we're approaching hell this morning. And before we really get into, the, into talking about it, we have to start... Uh, here we have to start uh, on a foundation that says this: whatever we learn about hell, whatever we believe about hell, whatever it is that we say this is our doctrine of hell, it has to fit the character of God as revealed in Scripture. It cannot be something that does not fit who God has revealed Himself. To be, And one of the things that is crystal clear in all of Scripture, you read it from cover to cover, from Genesis to the maps, this one thing is completely clear. God is for you. Amen. God is for you. Hell cannot, whatever it is, whatever it isn't, it cannot mean God is against you. Because God was revealed through Scripture as it revealed through the Holy Spirit. We know that God is for us. And I just want to give you a few examples from Scripture that that show this, that God is is unequivocally always for us. Check this out. Psalm chapter 139, verses 16 and 17. The psalmist puts it this way. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. 
Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And then look what the psalmist says. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? Do you ever think like God thinks about you? And not only that, but look what he said. Look what the psalmist says. They cannot be what? Numbered. God thinks about you so much that you could not number that not just random thoughts, not just, not just thoughts of anger and I'm going to smite thee. No, 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 no. Precious, the psalmist says. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? They cannot be numbered. God likes to just sit around and think about you. And when he thinks about you, he smiles. And he thinks, oh, man, I love that person. I love that girl. I love that guy. Man, they're so precious to me. I hope, and, and maybe you're not following Jesus right now, and right now God's thinking about you, and he goes, I hope they surrender their life to me because I want to give them life. Right now they're living in death, and I want to fill them with my life. God thinks about you all the time. Check this out, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is what Paul says. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Another translation says we are God's masterpiece. It's as if God is Da Vinci and we are his Mona Lisa. Right? Is that right? Is that who painted? Okay. <laughs> I am not a humanities person. Anyway, um, we are God's handiwork, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus, but he created you to do something good. Not You might have spent your life and wasted the last 15, 10, 20 years of your life doing things that, that are not going to last or are not going to make a difference in the world. But I want you to understand, God created you to do something good. And Paul says he, he actually prepared this good thing in advance for us to do. Before you were ever born, uh, combining the, before you were ever born, God's thinking about you and he says, I want them to do this good thing. And he laid it out for you. Then, then uh, Paul also says this to Timothy. Check this out. Verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And look how Paul describes God. Who wants just a few people? Who wants just the people that he predestined before the beginning of time? Who wants all people? All people. You, me, them, he, her, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. He wants all people. To be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God is for you. Whatever hell is, it cannot mean God is not for you because God is for you. The most famous one of all, last one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he lo his love motivated him that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal Life. God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want the, 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 the person who does, lives just a really good life, you know, uh, grandma, grandpa, who, who never said a cuss word in their whole life. God doesn't want them to perish. God didn't want Hitler to perish, okay? I mean, this is how, this is the extravagant, crazy love of God. He doesn't want anybody, no matter how evil they are, he doesn't want them to perish because God is not like us. See, I don't know if, if you're like this, but most people kind of enjoy it when the person they don't like gets what's coming to them, you know, like karma, man, ha ha, you know, karma's a, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, th this is how we live our life because we're not like God. We want people to get what they're due. 
We want people to get what's coming to them. But God is not, he finds no pleasure. God gets no satisfaction when people get what's coming to them. None. This is what happens in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 18. Check this out. This is, let this just blow your mind, man. Uh, verse 21. But if a wicked person, a wicked person, evil, mean, no good, horrible person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them because of the righteous things they have done. They will live. And then look how God, God presents a, a question to himself. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. And it's a rhetorical question because we know, no, 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 you don't. And he actually answers himself with a question. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? God gets no pleasure when wicked people die. God gets no pleasure when evil people get what's coming to them. He doesn't get any pleasure from that. The, okay, that's Old Testament. What's the New Testament say about that? Check this out. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm, I'm, a lot of times we don't do a lot of scripture jumping, but I want you to see that this is all through the Bible, okay? Uh, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. God is patient with us. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Why? Because God is for us. He wants everyone, Peter says, to come to repentance, He's patient. He longs for everybody to come to life. But sometimes when we talk about hell and we, when we preach about hell, we don't start with the foundation that God is for us and we make it look like God is dying to send people to hell. When the truth is God is not dying to send people to hell. In fact, God sent his son Jesus to come who would die for us so that we would never go to hell. That we would, he, he rescued us from the very flames and fires of death itself by sending Jesus in our place. So, so God, God's entire intention towards you and me is motivated by his love because he is for us. And we have to start there if we're going to talk about hell because that's what love does. And God is love. So the question then remains, if God is so loving, how could he send anybody to hell? If God really is that loving, if, God, if all of God's intention towards us is love and goodness and grace, how could he send anyone to hell? And this is the incredibly uncomfortable truth that we see in Scripture. Hell exists because God is a God of love. And I know, I know that's really uncomfortable, but hell exists because, because here's the thing. If God is a God of love... That also means God will not force anyone to be in relationship with him. He's not, he's not going to force his love on anybody. We have a word for that. It's a crime. When you force your love on somebody, that's abuse. So God, because God is a God of love, he, he will never force you and I to, to love him back. Have you ever... Have you ever loved somebody and they didn't reciprocate? You know what I mean? Like, uh, let, let's, let's take it like old school. Let's go to like grade school. I remember when I was in fourth grade, there was this girl. Her name was Carolyn. Um, not Caroline, but Carolyn, okay? Because they really get upset if you mess that up. 
I don't know if you know any Carolyns or Carolines, but they get annoyed. Um, her name was Carolyn, right? And so, um, man, I had the hots for her. And this is real weird because she was a fourth grader, and I'm talking about having the hots for fourth grade, but don't. Never mind. Anyway, I really I appreciate my wife laughing because that makes me feel better. <laughs> I did. As a fourth grader, I mean, I had the biggest crush on her. And I remember uh, we were at our, um, I think it was like a spring dance that we were having. And I just wanted to dance with her because I thought, now granted, like, you know, how like grade schoolers dance, you know, there's like all kinds of room. Like when you get to middle school, not even the Holy Ghost can get between you and the person you're dancing with. But in grade school, you know, you're dancing like this. And so I go up to her, and I'm like, you know, it's near the end of the dance, and I'm like, will you dance with me? I'm super scared. I spent the whole time in the boys' room, right, with all my friends, like in the bathroom. But I'm like, will you dance with me? And she says, no. <laughs> it's horrible. It feels terrible. When, 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 you, when you love somebody and they do not reciprocate, it's It's painful. So what is God to do if he loves us and, and we refuse that love? No, God, I refuse to be loved by you. No, God, I refuse to love you back. No, God, I refuse to submit my life to a God who just wants to control me. Would it be loving then for God to force that person to be in relationship with him for eternity? No. Because love doesn't force itself. The very thought of forcing love on someone else offends our sense of justice, our sense of freedom, our sense of choice. I mean, I get upset when somebody in the, in the express lane at the grocery store has more than 10 items. I'm like, that's wrong, you know, wrong. Look over here, more. they got 13 items. Justice, I want retribution now. Get them out, kick them out of the store. What does God do? Like, what, what would we think about God if he said, well, you know what? You didn't love me, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you. Eventually, you'll thank me. <laughs> no. God, love doesn't do that. Now, now, that's not to say that God doesn't long for us to be in relationship with him. Again, he is for us. He longs for us. Jesus, Jesus is going to the cross. Uh, he, he recognizes that his hometown, his, his home group, his home people, uh, the people of Jerusalem have, have rejected him. They've turned away from him. But listen to his heart in Matthew chapter 23, verse, 20, verse 37. Look what he says. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. He, he recognizes that these are some evil, wicked, bad people. Every time God has sent someone to you to proclaim his love, to proclaim his freedom, to show you the way back home, you've rejected them, you've killed them, you've stoned them. But oh, how often I have longed to gather you together like a, like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I know you're evil. I know you're wicked. I know you reject every, every message of love that I've sent to you, but I still, I long to bring you into my family. But look what he says, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. It's like God is about to break into his own rendition of Whitney Houston. I have always loved you. <laughs> or Dolly Parton, whichever one you want to go with. Is God more Whitney? Is he more Dolly? Both. I'm good with that. Sorry. 
What is God God to do if he loves us and he wants to transform our lives into something beautiful, into something good? If he wants to remake us so so that every bit of humanity is rescued and redeemed, he wants to envelop us in his love, but we just don't want anything to do with him. What does God do? Does he become the God stalker? Peeking out behind the bushes, looking at you like, like, does does God start looking at you going like, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Is that what God does? Because that's what we want God to do. But, But hell exists because God is a God of love. And the crazy thing to think is that humanity is is broken enough and 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 jacked up enough and dark enough to make that choice every day. God, I don't want anything to do with you. I know you want to give me life. I know you want to pour your love into my life. But no, 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 God, I don't want you. Hell exists because God is a God of love and God will not force anyone to be with him. For eternity. Well, wouldn't it be great if, like, if 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 everything just ended up in the same place? Like, wouldn't it be great if all of time wrapped up and and all of a sudden, like, God just brings everybody up to the same thing? And it's like, no, that wouldn't be great because then God would be a manipulative jerk. Like, God would be saying, I know I presented you with a choice, but that was just an illusion. That wasn't real. You didn't really have a choice in the matter. You didn't have any freedom whatsoever because I'm just going to make everybody come. Listen, friend, that's not good news. That's fake news right there. That's exactly what that is. That's fake news. God's not going to make anybody love it. See, here's the thing. We want the freedom to choose, but we don't want the responsibility. We want the freedom that comes with choosing. I don't know about the responsibility. And so if if love isn't something to be forced and God honors how he created us, then there has to be a place like hell because we choose and reject his love. Now, that's the first thing I want you to see about hell, that hell exists because God is a God of love. And there's a second thing about hell that, that I think is... Is just as beautiful, but maybe not something that you've thought about. Check this out. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Surely the day is coming. This is a this is a prophecy. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. Hell exists because God is a God of love and hell exists because there is coming a day when God will say no more. No more. You are not allowed to do that anymore. You see, we live in a jacked up world and people invent ways of being evil. People invent ways of hurting people. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, God, God, what, Josh, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God let them do this to me? Why would God let them hurt me like that? Why would God let them abuse me like that? And I don't have the answer. But I know this, there's coming a day where God will say no more. No more abusing little kids. No more beating your wife. 
No more racism. No more, no more ageism. None of that. It's gone. I'm done with it. No more hurt. No more abuse. No more genocide. No more sex trafficking. No more abuse. None of it. I'm done. No more. Done. No more. Hell exists because there is coming a day when God will say, no more. No more. And then and then check out what Malachi says. He says, in fact, God will let the people who suffered the abuse uh, dance on the ashes of the wicked. No more. Where does that say that in the New Testament? Yes, and I know it's harsh. I get it. I understand that. But but check out what this what, what Acts says, Acts chapter 17, verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I've been reading in this series uh, a book by a guy named N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope because he talks about resurrection and the afterlife and what comes next and all this. And, and there's a quote that he has in there that I thought was, was perfect for this message. He says this, check this out. There will be no barbed wire in the kingdom of God. And those whose whole being has become dependent upon barbed wire will have no place there either. There's coming a day, and I don't know when it is, and we don't have a map that tells us, hey, here's when this is going to happen. But there is coming a day where God will say, no more. No more. And on that day, Scripture says, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. There will be no more hurt. Because God will do away with that world. And he'll bring new life, new creation. And every hurt and wound that you've received will be completely healed. You won't lie awake in the middle of the night wondering why they did that and how they got away with that. All of that will be gone. So, how do we live? How do we live in light of this? How do we take this and then, and then not just let it be something that intellectually we agree with? Yes, I've gotten more knowledge about hell, and okay, that's so, all right. Hell you know, exists because God is love and exists because God will come, there'll come a day and God says no more. How do we move beyond that and actually live differently? Because that's what the point of this series is. Because again, the point of the series is how what we believe about tomorrow will impact how we live today. Like an ER doctor who, who uses the, 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 the paddles to like shock someone back to life. Talking about hell should, should rescue us from complacency and, and wake us up from the suffoc suffocating grip of a passive lifestyle. Because I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But, and what, what should cause our hearts to ache is how little evidence we believe anything that I've just said. Because if we did, if we really believe this, you see, when I'm sitting in a restaurant, when I'm sitting in the middle of Starbucks and I'm just sipping on my coffee and I look to the side, I brush away the idea of how many people in that room don't know Jesus and have rejected the love of God because it's uncomfortable. Because it, it starts weighing on my heart and I start aching and I start, I start feeling the weight of that. Put, let me put it a different way. How can we believe what scripture says about hell and then sit silently by and just let people walk away? 
No, 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 we have to take these words. We have to take them and let them reconfigure the way we live, the way we talk, the way we, we see the world around us. Because listen, if hell is just a myth, okay, if, if that's where we land, hell is just a myth, it's a traditional thing that has no grounding in scripture, let's put it on the shelf, let's forget about it, let's do away with it like everything else that doesn't find its, its foundation in scripture. Let's, let's get gone. But if it is true, if it is true, then we have to let it change us. And I think, I think the, 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 the author of the New Testament letter called Jude really gets it. I think Jude understands what, what, what we got to do with this, this idea of hell. Check out what he says. This is the last scripture. Then I'm going I'm to read this, and I'm going to be about finished. Verse 22 and 23, because Jude's only one chapter, right? So it doesn't have any chapters. Be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23. Save others by snatching them from the fire. I don't know if you have ever thought about this, but what, when I read this, here's the image that I get in my brain, okay, in my mind. When I meet Jesus, when, when whatever happens, either I die or he returns, when I meet him, I want to come into his presence smelling like smoke. I want to smell like smoke. Why? Because I've spent my life right on the outskirts of hell rescuing people from the flames and the fires of eternal fire. I want to smell like smoke. Well, why does Vertical Church exist? Because Chesapeake just needed another church. No, 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 no. I have no need to be here. I, I have no need to be here in front of people. Pastor Brian doesn't have some lifelong aspiration to be a life coach. No, we exist to be an outpost of heaven on the highway to hell to enter into glory smelling like smoke. Because like Jude said, we have saved them by snatching them from the fire. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's what we have to let this idea of hell. Whatever you want to believe. I don't even, I don't want to argue about that. I believe it's real. I believe some form or fashion. If you don't know Jesus, that's what your eternity looks like. And so I'm going to waste my life smelling like smoke because I'm snatching people from the fire. Because I don't want anybody to go to hell. I have no desire. None whatsoever. I want to be like Jude. If you have a doubt, if you're not sure, mercy. Mercy. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to believe everything I believe. Mercy to you. Mercy, man, we're all family. We're all going to believe different things. But if you are on the road to the, to, to, to the fire, I'm going to spend my life saving and snatching you from the fire. I want to enter into eternity smelling like smoke. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we, we take this, and God, this is not fun. Why did, you, why did you make us do this? Why did you make us talk about this? Why did you lead us in the direction where we talk about hell? God, I don't want to talk about hell. <laughs> I want to talk about grace and goodness and life and love and freedom and, 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 and the Holy Spirit and, and the fullness of that and no condemnation. I want to talk about those things, God. And yet you've led us to this place to talk about this very uncomfortable thing. And so if we're going to talk about it, God, would you let us feel the weight of this message? Let us feel the responsibility that we bear, God. 
Let us feel the, the weight that you have placed upon us. And we know, God, that the weight you placed upon us we can carry because your spirit is inside of us. And so it is not a burden that's going to weigh us down. But instead, God, let it be a burden that projects and propels us into the world to do like Jude said, to save those from the fire. Lord, we want to meet you on that day smelling like smoke because we've camped out on the outskirts of hell rescuing people on the road pointing them to life even at the very last minute. Lord, let us take this to heart. Let us, let us take this, this message into our very being and then let it push us. God, I, we don't, Lord, we don't want knowledge that just sticks in our head, God, but we want action that flows out of our hands. We want to, we want to point people to Jesus because salvation is there, saving is there, love is there. We don't want anyone to reject you, God. So let us live in such a way, full of confidence that we have the power to do the mission that you've called us to do. This is not too hard a thing, for you've given us the power to do it. Now, God, give us not only the power, but the desire. Lord, I pray right now, over each and every person who would call Vertical Church home that is sitting in this room right now. People are watching online. God, if they call our church home, I'm praying for them. Lord, that not only would you, would you reveal to us the power that you put into us, God, but I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you would awaken a desire in our hearts to see those who are on the highway to hell, God, be resurrected into new life, God. Create and birth in us this unceasing, unyielding passion, God, to see those those who are dead in their sins be brought to life in Jesus, who are experiencing, God, we're experiencing the foretaste of heaven right now. God, they're experiencing the foretaste of hell. And so, God, let us rescue them, saving them by snatching them from the fire and bringing them into the kingdom of God so that we walk into your presence, smelling like the smoke that we've been working in. Awaken our hearts, God. Shake us out of complacency. Lord, Lord, pull, pull, pull the suffocation of, of passivity from around our necks, God, and let us breathe in the life and the, the, the air of heaven, God, and let it motivate us. God, let us see the mission ahead of us. Awaken a passion. Awaken a desire in our hearts, God to tell people about Jesus. If you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus, then God has orchestrated it that you would be here today. And I'm not, listen, the, the biggest thing that I worried about this message that I would try to scare anybody. I'm not looking to scare and use fear to bring about something uh, beautiful. That's not how I operate. That's not what I feel like God has called me to do. Not to operate in fear, guilt, and condemnation. I don't want to operate in those things. I want you to see right now that God has, just like Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's masterpiece and he has created you to do good work. God is for you today, sir. God is for you today, ma'am. God doesn't hate you. He longs, just like Jesus said in Matthew, he longs to, to bring you into his family. Like a mother hen would, would, would bring her chicks under her wings for safety and protection to, to love on them. God wants to do the same thing in your life because he is for you. Everything in his life, everything in his being is, is, is angled and directed. His love is coming for you. Would you just surrender to him? 
today. And to do that, you just say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you. Put me, put me, on, the, put, put me on the road to rescue others. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We, we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Everybody say Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.